Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. My guest today is Soteris Kitralakis, co-founder of the Olive Company, Big Picture Foods. Soteris, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. I've got to meet some of your co-founders at a couple different conferences we've had the past months, and I'm so excited to have you on and talk about your product, as I love the idea of a regenerative olive. Well, you know, regenerative olives have been around forever because the cultivation that went on before the chemical companies got involved was indeed regenerative. It's only in the last, oh, maybe 30 years that they've been going in the wrong direction. And the people we work with are the ones that are still doing the old kind of cultivation. And they're very interesting folks because they've proven what a wonderful thing the traditional olive growing was. And I find that with a lot of real food, a lot of organic regenerative food, is it's essentially going back to a way things used to be. So why don't you tell us now about how Big Picture Foods got started? Well, I came into the food business sort of in the back door because my first part of my career was in high tech. I'm a chemical engineer. I worked on medical devices until at some point, a medical device company that we had, we were able to sell it to a big pharmaceutical company. And all of a sudden, I was able to have a little place on one of the Greek islands for the summer. And in the process, we discovered some wonderful foods that the locals were growing and cooking and producing, eating every day. I was bringing that stuff back in my suitcase once the summer vacation was over. And my former associate from the medical device world said, why don't we start a company? So we did. We started a company. This was in the mid-80s. The brand was Peloponnese. It's still around. It got sold when it grew large enough to Hormel. And subsequently, I maintained my connections with those people that supplied products. In those days, the awareness of how things are grown and what difference growing them the right way makes were really not that prevalent. So recently, and Big Picture Foods is only a couple of years old, I met up with Chris Jensen and Daniela Jensen, who had been in the food business previously, and talked about the idea of really reviving that effort. They were very enthusiastic and very supportive, so we put together a group of producers in the north and the south of Greece who were doing the traditional cultivation, and we started importing the product. The response has been wonderful because people realize all of a sudden how different these things taste, 
how much richer, how much more appetizing they are. And we're really very excited with how it's all going. We've recently just started bringing also peppers, which are cultivated the same way, and they're fermented, which is something that just doesn't happen to commercial peppers anymore. Perhaps we should talk a little bit about fermentation and what that's all about. Yes, I love that because fermentation is a big part of the appropriate omnivore and the foods I recommend. So let's get into the fermentation process of your foods. Okay. Well, the story starts in the soil, believe it or not, because the soil, when it's cultivated naturally, is full of life. There are all kinds of microorganisms which are specific to the region, and among them are all of the probes that are going to do the fermenting. So when you pick olives or peppers for that matter, what they bring with them on the surface, on the skin of the fruit, is a host of cultures, lactobacillus cultures, of which there may be 50 different strains on that surface, and there are also yeasts and the enzymes that are associated with them. Now, natural fermentation, when you take those olives and put them in salt water, within a couple of days, you begin to see bubbly. And people are familiar with that when they've made sauerkraut. It's the same process. Well, these cultures gradually produce lactic acid. In By doing so and vigorously growing, they eliminate all pathogens all the undesirable microbes that might cause spoilage. That happens, and this is documented scientifically by many labs, within about a couple of weeks, there's zero other cultures other than the lactobacillus, which is now happily fermenting away. The process with olives, because the skin is tough and relatively impermeable to protect the fruit is slow and it takes six to eight months for the fermentation to be completed. Now, what is very special about using the cultures from the ground is that they produce a variety of other compounds, which are traces, but it's what gives the flavor to the fermented food, just as it happens with wine. It's the trace elements that are volatile fragments of organic acids that are the supplier of aroma, the supplier of that special flavor and taste that rests in the back of your palate and you enjoy so much. All of those things happen with olives. And the other wonderful thing about it is that these cultures are also producing and preserving the various nutrients that came with the olive. All of the polyphenols, which are antioxidants, and the flavonoids, which are anti-inflammatory compounds, are preserved totally in a fermented olive. 
In addition, you get vitamins produced. And of course, the olive rests in that mother brine, which is by far the best preservative. It's a natural preservative that will keep the olives as long as you keep a lid in the container. Don't allow a lot of air to come in contact. It will keep it for years happily. I should contrast a little bit this process I just described to what happens with commercial olives over the last few years as the industrial agriculture has married its techniques to the chemical industry. First of all, all of the green olives, before they're allowed to ferment at all, are immersed in a caustic soda bath. This is a lye bath. This is a very aggressive chemical which actually breaks down the skin of the olive to a certain extent and very quickly eliminates the bitterness that is natural in the fruit. That process takes a couple of days, but of course it also kills all of any natural cultures that have come with the olive from the soil. So what happens then is they rinse these olives in a lot of water and put them in salt water. And of course, they have to add laboratory cultures, which are really selected by a chemical lab for their quickness of fermenting rather than producing all of these other fragments that give you flavor. So you get a quick fermentation of those green olives that is only partial because you've eliminated some of the things that would naturally be fermenting. And the whole process is completed in, if you're very aggressive, in about three weeks, if you're less so, maybe two months, in contrast to the six months it takes for a natural process. You can see the commercial advantage there. But the other point is that the resulting brine and the cultures that are left are really not able to preserve the olives the way the natural fermentation products do. So if you look at the jars of olives in your supermarket, you very often see the addition in the ingredient list of lactic acid, ascorbic acid, even benzoates and sorbates, which are drastic preservatives, because they can't preserve it otherwise. Also, all of those jars had been pasteurized, which means that they've been exposed to heat up to about 165 to as high as 190 degrees Fahrenheit, which cooks those olives. The result is a taste that's really nothing like the fermented product. That's with the green olives. The black olives in the industry are not subjected to lye because the lye would take all the color away. What they do there is they use special cultures that have been developed in a laboratory that hurry up the process. They often manipulate the temperature of the fermenting vat 
So once again, instead of taking the six to nine months, these black olives will be done in about three months. And of course, at that point, the fermentation is not complete because the cultures aren't that strong and there hasn't been enough time. So what they'll do is change the brine, get rid of any residual cultures, and then in the process of pasteurizing, they will kill off any residual culture, and of course the fermentation will not be complete. There are numerous scientific papers and so on that show the changes in the nutrients that happen with all these industrial processes. But to me, the great <laughs> proof in the pudding is when you put them in your mouth. I can witness that myself. <laughs> I love everything you're saying. It very well speaks to me. And your product is something unique that I haven't really seen on the supermarket. I've mainly been getting my olives from farmer's markets because those are the only places that you can get them done the traditional way. Of course, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have access to farmer's markets where they live. So I think it's great that what you have is available in supermarkets. People can find it nationwide where they live in areas where they may not have farmer's markets in the winter or they don't have farmer's markets at all if it's really small. So I see this as a very widely untapped area. You touched upon sauerkraut as something which has become very successful of selling sauerkraut done the traditional fermentation way, and that's now a very big part of the market. Do you see raw fermented olives as a growing sector in the natural foods market? I hope so. I hope the whole category of naturally fermented foods will really become something that people will learn about and enjoy. I should mention very quickly about the peppers too, because that's another story. Grandmothers, at least Greek and Italian grandmothers, used to take peppers and actually ferment it, put them in salt water, in a crock in the corner, and over oh, three oaks, because peppers don't have as thick a skin or as much mass as an olive, these things would be fermented, they would be acid enough to be preserved, and they taste a world different than the pickled peppers. Pickled peppers are simply a quick and dirty way of preserving them by putting the raw fruit in salt, water, and lots of vinegar. What happens there is, of course, the product is preserved because of the acidity, and it has a certain freshness, especially if the peppers are well-grown and taste good to begin with. But when you ferment the peppers, you get a whole other dimension of taste and flavor, just as you do with the olives. The difference is immense, and I hope you get to try some of these peppers, because people are surprised, you know, pepperoncini, most of them that come out of a jar that have been pasteurized and preserved in added acids are a little bit astringent. There's a lot of heat often there, hiding everything else, but you don't get the fruitiness, the complexity that you get in a fermented pepper. And another point that, if I may, I should add here 
is that by doing what we're doing, keeping the olives from a certain area together, fermenting them together from a few producers, you also get the characteristic flavor of the place of where they're grown. And there are differences, believe it or not, just as they are with wine. As Cabernet Sauvignon grown in Bordeaux tastes very different than the Cabernet in Napa Valley. It tastes even more different when the winemaker, instead of using laboratory cultures, uses the wild culture that came in the vineyard, which is what we're doing with the olives. And it's interesting that the number of winemakers, especially the ones that are concerned about keeping the process as natural as possible, have begun using the wild yeasts that come with the grapes straight out of the ground. That is a way of preserving the characteristic flavor, what the French have forever been calling terroir and impressing us with, which means nothing more than the character that's imparted in the product from the soil where it grew. Provided, of course, the soil is alive and has its own life, as opposed to being deadened by fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, and so on. Yes, I've had the great fortune of being able to try all the different peppers at the fancy food show and then Expo West. And I love them. You touched upon the red peppers, which was a Nexty finalist at the Natural Products Expo West. And you also have the banana peppers and the pepperoncinis, two of my favorite types of peppers. And I love getting them at restaurants, but the truth is I haven't typically bought them at the supermarket because they were very much done the conventional way. And it was hard for me to really justify buying something that doesn't have the beneficial nutrients for your gut as the conventional banana peppers and pepperoncinis have. So I love that you're doing this. It's something that was badly needed long overdue in the market. And I also want to mention that you have an organic capers. That is what actually that I buy because I do like to make things with capers. But still, when I bought the capers, I did have some questions of how much nutritional value it had. So I like that you also have your wild forage organic capers. Yes, they're a very special product because they're still picked in the wild. But typically, caper vines like to grow on the coastlines. And they also like very dry, gravelly soil. And often you'll find them growing out of a crack in a rock along the shoreline. And they crawl along the ground, they drape over those rocks. And what these villagers have been doing forever is they come out in about May, June, when the caper vine is picked when there's still buds. And they are totally wild, natural, and very often the very characteristic flavor because of the locals claim that it's this that makes a difference. They probably know better than I do. But they'll pick, they take them home, and then they go straight into and like every other vegetable, carrying with them the ubiquitous lactobacillus cultures and other cultures. They 
begin fermenting. And again, because they're such a tiny little thing, <laughs> within about four weeks, they're totally fermented out. They're now living in a brine that's full of lactobacillus cultures, and they're protected. And that's what we're the papers. It's interesting that these people are very conscious of the fact that they've got to be careful how many they pick. Because if they stripped the vine, the vine will not produce anymore and it'll probably die, which is what they don't want. Because the caper vine are perennials, come back year after year, they grow, and villagers are very respectful of the they need to be preserved. I think it's wonderful how all of your different products have these unique stories as to how they're fermented and they gain their terrific taste through doing a slow fermentation process. In addition to having truly traditionally fermented olives and peppers and capers, you also have regeneratively farmed crops for all of the different products you sell. And I imagine that there's a great story with that, too, in terms of the regenerative farms that you look to source with? Well, as I mentioned before, these are people that have finally worked there. These um, uh, Remember that beast, because of the terrain and because of the mountainous nature of the... Uh, there are no big farms, industrial farms, or large corporate farms. Olive groves, of course, have trees on them that are sold. So they've been inherited in these families forever. They do renew the trees, they do plant them, but it's not unusual where there are trees that are several hundred years old, along with some ones that grandpa planted, and which are considered the ones. The Greeks were vineyards for your kids and olives for your grandchildren. So this is the way that this whole culture is organized. These people were assaulted by the chemical companies in the 70s who were pushing basic fertilizers to begin with. These are nitrogen fertilizers that in the beginning, the first few years, they really increased the yield. And then all of a sudden, you had to use more and more and more because it was decreasing and the trees were becoming vulnerable to disease. And of course, along came the pesticides and the herbicides, which killed off the weeds, believe it or not. So you had to spray the trees with more chemicals. Well, as that business evolved, some of the people felt that they really didn't want to be part of it. Because at the end, even the economic advantage vanished because you ended up having to use so many of the chemical products to yield up that the initial proliferation of yield had disappeared and you weren't compensating for the cost of the chemicals. So there are out there people still doing it the old way, and they're also doing their own fermenting, the real believers, because they don't trust anybody to do it right with their olives. Well, these are the guys that I had known from all the years that I had worked users and were the ones we brought together for this group for foods. 
Now, what's interesting, and it's already happening, even though it's only the third year that we have been working with them, neighboring farms where they had given up and were using chemicals are beginning to talk to our guys about uh, reverting to the old practices. Wow. The sad thing, though, this is something that people ought to be aware of. The sad thing is that to recover, it takes about four or five years for the soil to be healthy again and for all of that life to come back. And of course, five years of low yield is a difficult economic problem. So there is some movement now in Europe. And in fact, there were a couple of programs in Greece and Italy, and I think maybe Spain as well, where these people were subsidized to go back to this kind of agriculture. I hope that grows. And I think it will as these products are proven to be desirable, as the American public, the consumer, recognizes the value and buys it. There's another point to this, Aaron, which I want to make, and that is that when the farmer actually ferments the olives in his premises or in association with three or other other farmers in a sort of mini co-op, they add value to that crop and they get paid a lot more money than if they sold to the aggregators in the spot market just as they harvested which is what the big industrial firms do. They have agents that go around, literally they have trucks on call, and they will buy the olives just as they come off the tree, and they'll go straight to the big processing plants. And of course, those guys get paid a lot less. So there is that component as well. And they're awfully proud when they let you taste what they have just fermented over a few months. You know, you can see it in their eyes and the smile. So we've touched upon how Big Picture Foods is unique in terms of the growing and agriculture of the olives and other foods with its regenerative practices. And then we've talked about how you do the traditional long fermentation of all the products. Are there other ways which you'd say that Big Picture Foods is unique compared to similar products on the market? Well, most important is the fact that we keep the olives and the peppers in the mother brine, which is not what happens when they jar them. And by doing that, we don't use preservatives. All of the flavor is retained. And by keeping them refrigerated, we never have to heat them. That preserves all of the nutrients, and all of the joy of eating them. I want to bring up another point, which I'm sure people don't realize. And not all olives, the green ones, have about 10% of their mass is olive oil. And the black ones, which are more ripe, all olives will get black if you leave them on the tree long enough and have a maximum content of oil which gets to be about 25, maybe as high as 30%. And that is in tiny little globules within each cell in the fruit. So in the cells, 
the, the nucleus of the cell. You can see this in a high-powered microscope. And there's a droplet of oil. Now, that oil is preserved in that droplet in a pristine condition, especially if you've naturally fermented the olive. It's as extra virgin olive oil as it can be. And when you bite into that olive, you release that oil. And that the oil you release becomes a carrier for a lot of the flavoring compounds that you're tasting and enjoying, which have the lingering taste that can be delightful. And also they are the elements that make an olive a good companion to other foods because they contrast with real flavors that you find in the accompanying food. So all of these things we try to preserve as best we can. And by keeping them refrigerated, we slow down the process, which of course takes place in every food where there are chemically active elements, there are changes that take place. And basically an olive, even these, particular olives, as best as you can keep them, after a year or two will not taste the same as it did the day you took it out of the fermenting bath. Things change. There are some changes that are welcome. There is more of a mellowness as opposed to a sharpness in many of But you can enjoy it as it ages when there is something there to enjoy. I'd have a hard time having olives in my fridge that have been in there for a couple of years because I love them so much that <laughs> they would definitely not last that long for me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the whole point. We've touched upon how with regenerative agriculture, this is excellent for the soil. In addition, what would you say are the nutritional benefit of having these regeneratively grown and then traditionally long fermented olives? Well, you get a host of nutritional elements in a fermented olive, which are as high in content, almost as high as they were in the raw fruit. And first and foremost are the antioxidants. The antioxidants in an olive are the kinds of compounds that help your body find oxidizing agent that basically are detrimental to a lot of the organ functions. This is a foremost aspect of that. The second is that there are anti-inflammatory compounds there. Flavonoids are the ones that usually are talked about, but literally there are dozens of trace compounds, which by the way vary by location and by variety of olive. And then you have vitamins. There's quite a bit of E-vitamin, which is, of course, also in olive oil. And a lot of the E-vitamin in olives is in those little globules of olive oil that are in the cells preserved in there. And there are also zinc and selenium minerals, which have many, many functions in health. Finally, and very importantly, you get a lot of 
microbiotic cultures because the lactobacilli, especially the particular strains of lactobacillus pentosus and a couple of other particular strains, are wonderful probiotic cultures, which, by the way, make it all the way to the intestines where they do some good. They're really a much better way of getting your probiotics than taking pills because the probiotics you get in a food, that's not true only of olives, it's true of any fermented food. A good sauerkraut will give you a whole range of lactobacillus probiotic cultures rather than the one or two you get with the pill. And there's a bit of scientific literature that has been coming out as interest in these things is growing that shows that somehow, as with many things, if you get the nutrient in a food, it gets better absorbed and it's more effective than if you get it in a pill. You know, eating fruit is so much better than drinking some sort of industrial potent nutritional juice. That has come up again and again whenever people have looked at these things closely. So keeping them alive, keeping them from getting overheated, and consuming them in their own milieu is by far the best way to get these nutrients. I would completely agree that the best source of probiotics is food, and that's been touched upon in this show many times. Just about a month ago, we had Alex Lewin, author of the book Real Food Fermentation. So we talked about all kinds of foods you could ferment, and we did cover olives in that, of course, as I've touched on before, yours is really one of the few companies, if there are any others, that truly ferment the olives. And yes, there's many different types of foods. And in my blog, in the best product articles, I've listed some of them. And yeah, I'd love to see more because there are a lot of sauerkrauts and we're now seeing a few fermented pickles. That's another favorite food of mine. I like that we're seeing that. And Olives also have always been a food that I've loved going back to when I was a kid. So I'm pleased to see that you have that on the market as well as now your bell peppers and your capers. Do you have any plans for adding other foods to the Big Pictures line? Well, I'll tell you, the next one is a much more difficult task, but I hope we can do it. And I'll tell you, but apart from other vegetables and a jardiniera, which is an assortment of vegetables that have been fermented, which is wonderful, is something that I'm hoping we'll be able to do in the not-too-distant future. But the thing that I'd really like to do someday is get a real, truly fermented feta that comes from animals that are grazing in their natural environments and are never fed any kind of grains because they're doing that to sheep now in the winter. And the cheese is made, again, with the cultures that come from the animal cultures so that they have this wonderful variety and really complexity of flavor that you get in some of the mountain cheese-making operations, tiny little places, 
that you find in Greek mountains and also in Bulgarian mountains. The Balkans all make their own little variety of feta, but it's these guys that are doing it the real traditional way, as opposed to what has now become a commodity in places where literally within a week they have produced what they claim is properly aged feta. I also love the cheese that has been aged in a barrel for six months, which is the traditional thing. Mm. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, it acquires a whole other dimension because, you know, they use wood barrels, of course, and there is just enough permeation of air through the wood to get to the ripening cheese to produce the fragments of the fatty acids that are the wonderful smells. And it's sort of like the cheeses that are aged in caves up in the Alps, where you can't do it anywhere else. You have to go in that cave because that's where the whole world of microorganisms has been happily living, surviving, and producing cheese for centuries. So again, we come across this idea that there is a world of cultures that interact with food in every location that give it character, that give it their special interest that's worth naming the food after the place. And just like we've been doing or used to do with wines, as opposed to a negociant who mixes different things every year to get what he thinks his public likes. I just have to say, because your company immediately caught my attention when I first saw them at the fancy food show back in February, seeing regenerative fermented olives, all three things that are very important to me, and then getting to taste them. And everything that you're saying just makes me love and admire your company more. You're checking off every box in mine because this is the appropriate omnivore. So I'm about recommending both great plants and the type you have are some of my favorite type of vegetables, but that we also go into now truly fermented and regeneratively sourced dairy and feta cheese, which I love. Oh, it's just so amazing. I can't wait for some of these things that you're going to release. A most amazing food that has been totally maligned by industry is yogurt. Now, yogurt in the places like the cheese makers I was mentioning is made with, again, the native cultures that naturally come from the environment. And when the real Greek yogurt is made that way, and especially if they use unpasteurized milk, raw milk. It's a whole other world. There's so much richness, so much complexity, and it is such a different world from the plastic cup with a corn syrup fruit dumped in there and half powdered milk, half something else, God knows what. But the yogurt, I don't think, will travel across the ocean. Maybe somebody who has sheep in this country will begin to do that. That would be wonderful. It would be. And I like how you also bring up about the raw milk, which I know that that would be another obstacle of it because there's a lot of issues, unfortunately, about selling 
raw milk across state lines. But I do love just the interest in it and the hope that we do see this at some point. Let's hope so. And there is so much ground to cover that if we don't get the yogurt, it's all right. (laughs) So many other wonderful things we can be making. It is. I think the most important thing is that you have this vision and this hope for what we see. And let's look down the road years from now at what kind of products similar to these are on the market by you and by others. We're just about out of time, but before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to let the listeners know about Big Picture Foods? Well, we are trying to really help a whole group of people survive. These farmers need to have access to market, which is becoming more and more difficult. You read about the logistics problems. Well, that ups the little guy even more. So supporting people that are trying to do these things, whether they're imported or domestic or just at the farmer's market, a couple of guys with a farm 10 miles away from you. Remember that you're supporting a way of life. And it's a social act as well as a wonderful, helpful act when you consume these products. Love it. For the listeners who would like to know more about Big Picture Foods, where can they go online to read about this? We have a website. It has a lot of our story. We're still working on it. But it is exactly bigpicturefoods.com. If you go there, you'll get some of this information We're working hard, and among all the other things you have to do as a new company, to really get as much content there as possible. Because I find that when I talk to my friends about how these olives came about, they have no clue. They really don't realize what's involved and how important it all is. So that website, We'll have a lot of information, and I think you'll find it useful. Thank you so much for coming on the program. I love the stories that you tell. It was truly a pleasure having you on. Well, thank you for your interest and your support, and let's hope we'll talk again in the future when there's more things to tell. I'll be glad to talk with you again in the future when there's more development and we see more of where you've gone. Wonderful. Look forward to it. Me too. Thank you so much for coming on the program. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are now released every Wednesday. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can also listen to all my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.